the Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sat from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, wherever you get your podcasts. With the new year comes the perfect time to try out some new things. So it's the perfect time to add native aluminum-free deodorant to your 2021 routine. I have tried almost every aluminum-free deodorant there is, and I can say without a shadow of a doubt, that Native is my absolute favorite. Native cares about your armpits, which is why their list has ingredients you've actually heard of and can pronounce, like coconut oil and shea butter. Not just that, but none of their products are tested on animals, and almost everything is vegan. So you can feel good about your choice to switch. There are so many options to choose from, and I don't just mean their normal line and seasonal scents. There is a line of sensitive deodorants for those with baking soda sensitivities, plastic-free for those wanting to cut down their plastic consumption, and unscented for those who are all about their own scent. And if that wasn't enough to convince you to try Native, making the switch is risk-free to try because every product comes with free shipping within the U.S., plus free 30-day returns and exchanges. So head over to Native and pick out your perfect scent. Make the switch to Native today by going to nativedo.com slash morningcup or use the promo code morningcup at checkout and get 20% off your first order. That's nativedo.com slash morningcup or use the promo code morningcup to check out for 20% off your first order. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a... Weird homicide. Scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird morning. Cup of murder. In death, a person's celebrity can rise even more than it did when they were alive. On March 9, 1997, the infamous and notorious B.I.G. lost his life in a drive-by that, despite its many theories, has yet to be solved. Yet, despite his death, he still holds the title of one of the greatest rap artists of all time. So if you like your coffee hot, but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Before he was the notorious B.I.G., he was Christopher George Latour Wallace, and he was born on May 21st, 1972 in Brooklyn, New York, to two parents from the Caribbean island of Jamaica. When he was two years old, his father left the family and his mother began working two jobs to support her family and continue sending Christopher to a private school. Though he eventually had to transfer to a technical high school, he excelled in English and, despite his frequent truancy, was considered a good student until he dropped out at the age of 17. According to friends who at this point started to call him big because of his husky build, Christopher started to sell drugs when he was just 12 years old. His mother worked long hours and was left unawares of her son's activities, 
And now out of school, he was able to step up his enterprise. Big was arrested for the first time in 1989 and served five years probation for a weapons charge. The next year, he was arrested for violating his probation and the year after that for dealing cocaine in North Carolina, for which he served nine months in jail while waiting to make bail. Around this time, he began freestyle rapping to entertain his friends. And once he got out of jail, he decided to start making demo tapes under the name Biggie Smalls, inspired by the name of the gang leader in the movie Let's Do It Again and his childhood nickname. That tape found its way to the Source magazine, who wrote a profile on Biggie and invited him to record with other unsigned artists. That recording made its way to Sean Combs, or Puff Daddy, who invited the young rapper to intern at Uptown Records. He arranged a record deal for Biggie, but soon thereafter, Puff had a falling out with his boss, started his own label, Bad Boy Records, and by mid-1992, Biggie had joined his mentor. Between 1993 and 1994, Biggie had put out his first single, was working on his debut album, Had a Baby Girl with His High School Sweetheart, met and married label mate Faith Evans after knowing her only a few days, and met his new mentor, Tupac Shakur, whom he asked to be his manager, but turned it down and told him to stay with Puff, that he would make him a star. And by all accounts, he was right. Notorious B.I.G.'s album, Ready to Die, came out on Bad Boy's label, and Big Papa was soon nominated for a Grammy for Best Rap Solo Performance. The album marked a resurgence in East Coast hip-hop, and Biggie's narrative lyrics made him a huge hit. Then, tragedy struck the hip-hop scene on November 30th, 1994. That's the day that Biggie's mentor and friend, Tupac Shakur, was shot five times in a New York recording studio. Tupac survived the ordeal, but set his sights on Biggie and Puff as the masterminds behind the attack. Despite the public feud, Biggie continued to further his career. In 1995, his next album was released. He formed a group of young rappers to mentor, became one of the only hip-hop artists to collaborate with Michael Jackson, collaborated with other artists, and became the best-selling solo male artist on the Billboard charts. Unfortunately, his success was not without its setbacks. In 1996, he was arrested for chasing two autograph seekers with a baseball bat and threatening to kill them. Had his house raided where police found 50 grams of marijuana and four automatic weapons, was charged with beating and robbing a friend of a concert promoter, and arrested for smoking marijuana in his car. Then, on September 7, 1996, Tupac was shot again in Las Vegas. But this time, he wouldn't stay alive long enough to cast aspersions on his fellow artists. But their feud was so public and the East Coast-West Coast rap beef so deep that everyone looked straight at Biggie and Puff as if they were the gunmen. And since his murder is still unsolved, many still believe that to be true. But by early 1997, Biggie, who was now a father to a young boy and had survived a car accident that left him walking with a cane, was ready to end the rivalry that everyone believed took Tupac's life. He set out to finish his latest album and, during interviews, tried to broker a peace between the rival coasts. Despite his efforts, when appearing on stage at a March 7th award show, the L.A. crowd began booing him as he stepped forward to announce the winner. Sitting at the Westward Marquee Hotel in the days after the show, Biggie decided to leave the safety of his room and his security detail and convinced a group of friends to go with him to an industry party at the Peterson Automotive Museum. 
The party was in a nice location, and despite the presence of a few gang members, it seemed like a safe enough move for the famous rapper. He sat with friends, sipping champagne, and soaked in the vibe created by fellow artists and friends. But at around 12.30 a.m., as March 8th turned into March 9th, the building became too cramped and the fire department had to shut it down. As Biggie and his entourage got into their Suburban and made the drive back to his hotel, at 12.45, the driver made a stop at a red light with Biggie in the passenger seat, just as a dark-colored Impala drove up alongside the car, rolled down its window, and a black male drew his 9mm pistol and shot four bullets into the notorious B.I.G. He was rushed to the hospital, but at 1.15 a.m., the 24-year-old was pronounced dead just a few weeks before his album, Life After Death, was scheduled to be released. One week after his funeral, it debuted and became one of the top-selling rap albums in history. His death was mourned by both fans and fellow artists, and many considered his death and the death of Tupac Shakur to be, quote, nearly the end of rap. And almost immediately, the murders of both men became linked and cemented into music history. So, of course, there are about a hundred different theories as to who killed these titans of hip-hop. Los Angeles Times writer believed it was a member of the Southside Crips, acting in service of a personal financial order while a retired LAPD officer stated that he believed the murder was orchestrated by the head of Death Row Records as revenge for Tupac's murder. Randall Sullivan, a writer who has chronicled the murder in great detail, further added to this theory that Marion Knight, the head of the label, had known Blood's affiliation and, with the help of a corrupt LAPD officer, killed Biggie to make both deaths appear to be the result of a brutal rivalry. He even went as far as to name the hitman, claiming it was a man named Amir Muhammad. He said he got all of this information from a confidential informant and that the LAPD did not fully investigate the leads involving death row records, partly because Sean Combs, quote, failed to fully cooperate with the investigation and encouraged his staff to do the same. Many have argued that his theories are vastly exaggerated and hold no merit but it was enough to generate a 2006 lawsuit in which Biggie's mother, his widow, and his children filed a $400 million wrongful death suit against the LAPD, alleging that corrupt officers were responsible for his death. This suit caused the investigation to reopen, and a retired detective who worked the case said he believed Biggie was shot by a Wardell Poochie Faust, a member of the Ma Piru gang and associate of Marion Knight who died in 2003 under what many believed was the order of Sean Combe. The suit was dismissed after this theory was brought to light, but in the end, the case is still unsolved. But in an ironic twist of events, Biggie's death marked the end of the East Coast-West Coast rap feud. Things had gotten out of hand, and it had cost the world two incredible artists who were just entering their primes. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on March 10th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.